0: Well, good morning. Hey, welcome. If I've never met you, my name is Jeffrey. Uh, actually, I had somebody pull me aside one week and go, hey, you say all the time if, if we've never met you, your name is Jeffrey, what if we have met you? I was like, I've never realized how dumb that is. So I'm glad you're here. My name is Jeffrey. Uh, I am excited to be sharing a word that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart in the middle of this Restful Life series, which has been an incredible, incredible few weeks. I don't know about you, but I'm finding out daily how wound tight that I am and how much I need to rest and... That was shown, uh, well, actually, the opposite of that was shown a few weeks ago. My wife and daughters and I got the opportunity to go to Baltimore, Maryland. I was doing a wedding in Baltimore, and so we took the whole crew, and we were going to go to Baltimore. So it was in that process of getting ready for that trip that I was hit with this the jarring reality that in every family there are two distinct philosophies of packing, And those philosophies vary wildly. So my wife begins her packing process for this Baltimore trip. We were leaving on a Thursday, and she began it the Thursday before. And she began it by looking at the weather, which is something that I never thought to do. The weather is different in Baltimore than in Abilene. And so she looks at the weather, and then she compares the weather with our itinerary, and then she begins to set out outfits, And she's got her outfit for the day and her outfit for the night and the corresponding jewelry and the corresponding shoes and she just like methodically packs all of that stuff. And then to make sure that she doesn't forget anything, she makes a checklist on her phone that as we get closer to the trip, she begins to check stuff off and so she is completely ready to go on this trip. This is about what her bag looked like. Okay, so. Neurotic. And... um, she was in first service and I made that joke. It's okay. Uh, my packing was different. The night before, it was 9 o'clock and uh, <laughs> it gets worse. And uh, we were leaving at 6 45 a.m. the next morning. Like, had to have both kids in the car with all of our luggage ready to go, 6.45 a.m. And at nine, I looked at Sarah, and I go, hey, I should probably start packing. And she was like, yeah, days ago. I was like, all right. So I grabbed my suitcase, and I laid it down uh, by my closet. And I was like, hey, I like this shirt, and I threw it in there. <laughs> like this shirt, too, threw it in there. Just started throwing stuff in there. Sarah's in the other room going, don't forget, it's cold. And it's was like, oh, shoot, yeah. So I threw in a sweatshirt and some sweatpants and probably some shoes, and I just was just, you know, Packing my bag. This is what mine looked like. So I brought a bathing suit to Baltimore, Maryland in the fall. If you're curious how uh, smart I was packing. Um, and had you asked me in that moment, had we just had a sit down face to face and you'd said, Jeffrey, I, saw, I see your bag. Do you feel like you packed everything you needed for this trip? And I would be like, yeah, look at the bag. It's full. No way could I have forgotten anything. Not to mention, I forgot to pack my toiletries. And I forgot stuff that was vitally important for me at the wedding. So yes, you would be correct. If you wondered how the end of this went, packing like this, it went poorly. But if you'd asked me if I had everything that I needed for the trip, I, I would have said absolutely I have everything. And when you look at these two bags, they're so different that you almost need to call them something different. Like this one feels like luggage. When you think about luggage, when you're packing your luggage, that's an adventure, right? You're packing your luggage because you're gonna load up the car and you're gonna go see family that you haven't seen in a while. Or with your luggage, you're gonna put it in the plane and you're gonna go fly to Disney. Or your luggage is our family trip to the mountains. Luggage is an adventure and we're excited about it. We have everything we need See, that first night we got to Baltimore, Sarah laid down her suitcase. She picked out the night outfit that she had prepared and she put it on and she was ready to go. This bag, on the other hand, luggage doesn't seem fair. We'll call this baggage. Because when you think about baggage, no one thinks, I love the baggage that I'm carrying around. You don't ever walk up to somebody and go, hey, I see your baggage. Tell me more about it. I want some of that. Baggage is always negative. You never use the word baggage and it be a positive thing. It's emotional baggage, relational baggage, familial baggage. Like We bring baggage and it almost always is going to harm us in the end or or make our life more difficult moving forward. That is baggage. It is something that will cause us problems in the future. I got to Baltimore and I laid down my bag. Sarah just arrogantly looking at me from the side going I told you and I open it up and I'm like I don't know if I brought another pair of pants I'm gonna have to wear airplane pants or a soup pants out to dinner tonight like it's a problem and it was a problem the rest of the trip me just trying to to figure out what I'd thrown in this chaos of my bag and I'm not about to Marie Kondo your life I don't care how you pack You can pack like me. It's a pain in the butt, but I probably didn't learn my lesson anyway, so you just feel free to do this. The the bigger deal, and what I really want us to get nailed down in our heart this morning, is that we are often living from a place where we're striving to do everything on our own instead of being equipped with what God has provided for us and given to us, meaning... We are often lugging around baggage of our own. I touched the wrong bag. We're lugging around baggage as, that we did ourselves. We stuffed it. We did it on our own power, on my own strength. I'm living my life. When what God is offering us is luggage that He packed and prepared for us that we just have to take with us to live the life He has for us. Baggage is my own doing, luggage is God equipping us for what He has. Don't believe me? Ask yourself this question. In the year of our Lord, 2022, that we're currently in, would you say you have less stress today, less anxiety today than you used to? Which if you can say yes, kudos. I will be honest, I could not say yes to that question. If we're just being real gut level honest, I couldn't say yes to that question today. I woke up at 5 a.m. with my mind and heart racing. And these last six months have just kicked my tail. And it'd be awesome if I could stand up here and I could tell you like I've just, I've, I've beaten it. I feel like this is, I'm confident, but sometimes the sermons that we preach are preached out of our own weakness. And I can promise you this, this sermon is preached out of my weakness. And I can't pinpoint this specific thing. It'd be so much easier if I could tell you it's this one thing in my life that's causing me anxiety. And I know there are some factors. I could give you some examples. And as much as I love you, I'm not going to do that today. (laughs) But Tuesday, it might be one thing. And then Thursday night, it might be something different. Sunday morning might be something that's not even tied to the first two. I begin to feel that anxiousness, that worry. This resides right under the surface. And I think we all deal with worry and anxiety at some level. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the clinical anxiety. That is a legitimate thing that people can go to the doctor for. Your body gets out of, out of whack and they can give you medicine. Great. That's, you, you can see victory over I'm talking about like good old-fashioned anxiety. That worry that just sits right under the surface of your life. That it's just waiting for that tiny trigger. Like that little thing that will set us off that email that pops up, that sign, that fleeting conversation we hear, and then all of a sudden, we're in this place that our mind and our heart is just racing and racing and racing, and we can't catch up no matter what we, no matter what we do, no matter what we try to think about, no matter how we try to distract ourselves, that, that kind of anxiety, that's what I'm talking about. And we talk often around here about a verse that uh, some words Jesus said that we see written in John 10 where Jesus says that he came to this earth so that we might have life and have it in abundance, but that we have an enemy who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. Like We say that verse a lot, and I am convinced deep in my soul that one of the most creative tactics of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy our lives is unchecked worry and anxiety. We sit here in the middle of this restful life series with the cute little beach houses behind us, listening to Leif's beautiful voice in our small group times. How pretty is that dude's voice? We feel this stress and this worry about all these different things in our world and the antithesis, the complete opposite of rest is worry and anxiety. It's it's us being pulled and stretched and our minds going in different directions and our heart being stretched and pulled in ways that it shouldn't. And almost always, our worry and our anxiety is tied to this, Stuff that I tried to do on my own. I can take care of providing for my family. I can be the one that meets the needs of the people around me. I can do all that I need to do, all that's expected of me. And then we get to this place that we're never measuring up and we're constantly feeling defeated. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that we worry about stuff that we did with our own hands. And then we feel the anxiousness that causes us to do stuff with our own hands. And then we get stuck in this place of a lifestyle of worry and anxiety when God is like, hey, hey, I got this. I know we don't like to do math on Sunday mornings or ever. Some of you leaned over and said, or ever just then, didn't you? But here's how big a problem worrying anxiety is. If you do it for an hour a day, which I think feels conservative, if you worry and are anxious an hour a day, 365 days a year, and you do that over a decade, you will lose 152 days of your life in that 10 years to worry and anxiety, 152 days. And that's like 24 hours a day. You take out the six hours that we sleep or whatever a night, and that just keeps going. And it's because we're striving so hard to be the one who takes care of everything on our own. And God's saying, hey, This is what I'm offering you. Why are you settling for this? I'm offering you a life equipped, ready, provided for you to be able to walk in all the life that I have for you, which I told you was abundant. And yet we settle for beating our head against the wall on our own strength and our own power. It sounds so much more restful to trust the provision of God. It sounds so much more peaceful to live a luggage life instead of a baggage life that I'm carrying around, lugging around day in, day out, week in, week out. And here's where we kind of see that in scripture. If you will, grab a Bible. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter six. This, this part of scripture is one of the, the most important sermons that Jesus gives. It's in the middle of a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is giving this sermon and, and, and it's just It's an important sermon. If you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, you can go read it. It's just three chapters in the book of Matthew. Read it this week, because it is bullet points, guidelines for us to live a righteous life. So we see this in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, "'Therefore I tell you, "'do not be anxious about your life, "'what you will eat or what you'll drink, "'nor about your body, what you put on. "'Is not life more than food "'and the body more than clothing?' And for some of you in here, that worry of what are you gonna eat and what are you gonna drink is a real worry. You feel that day in and day out of how are you going to provide that food and drink that your family needs to survive. But for others of you, it's not what you eat that's the problem. It's not what you eat or what you're gonna eat after church today that's causing you anxiety. It's, it's that tomorrow at 8 a.m. you've got a job that you gotta go to, a job that you hate, it's your boss, just you don't get along. You've been wanting a new job for years and you begin to feel anxious. Or maybe it's that you don't have that job to go to at eight and that causes you anxiety just the same. Maybe it's not what you're gonna drink that causes you anxiety, but, but instead it's that, that shelf that has piled high with bills that you can't pay for, that you just keep getting notices about, keep getting notices about. You just want that shelf, like you put it up there and hope that the, the bill fairy comes and takes it away. Maybe it's not what you're aware that causes you anxiousness, but it's the pressures you feel as a student going, how can I ever do all that's being asked of me? And we get frustrated if we're honest. This is church, so why not be honest? We get frustrated and we're like, hey, Jesus, those feel like things I should be able to be anxious about. These are real life things I'm dealing with. I I feel like my anxiousness is warranted. And Jesus goes on and he says this, Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And I love how Jesus tells us this, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. And then he immediately breaks it down into this very simple and easy to understand concept. It was like Jesus in that moment knew that we were going to really struggle to believe what he was saying. And because we were going to struggle to believe it, he was going to make it as simple as possible. And so he goes, hey, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the birds. You want to know something fun? I hate birds. Like, really, really. Like they're useless. Yeah, they, they don't contribute anything to society. They, don't, they, don't, they just poop on your car and just cause chaos. Like there's, I don't like birds at all. And, and Jesus goes, look, look at the birds of the air. They don't do anything for their own provision and yet the Lord provides for them. And then he asks us this question, this question that should wreck us. He goes, are you not more valuable than birds? it's a question that I want you to ask yourself. Am I not more valuable than the birds of the air? Because Jesus just sat there and said, think about the birds. They get all that they need provided for. And if that's the case, are you not more valuable than birds? And this is church. So we'd be like, yes, I'm more valuable than birds. I know I am. But, but do we believe it? Do I really believe that I am more valuable than the birds of the air? Because if I do, It would shift so much about the way that I think and the way that I live and the way that I wake up tomorrow and go to bed tonight. So much would shift if we actually believe that we are worth more than the dumb little birds up in the air. He goes on. He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's already kind of hit on the birds. And then he says, Okay, think about the lilies in the field. They they cover the fields. They're not doing anything to grow. They're just growing. He compares it to Solomon. And when, he, when Jesus would have said, and even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those, you probably in that moment to everyone that was there would have been like, oh, he said Solomon. And they're gonna lean over to their friends. Hey, did he say even Solomon? They're like, yeah, he said Solomon was not as beautiful as the lilies that cover the field. Because for them, Solomon would have meant a lot. That, that statement would have, would have really rocked their world. See, Solomon, pound for pound, dollar for dollar, is the wealthiest human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. And so when he says Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those, they're picturing Solomon in the most expensive clothes that you could ever possibly imagine. Covered in jewelry and gold. I mean, this dude would have been arrayed. And there Jesus goes, hey, you know what? Even Solomon was not as beautiful as the lilies covering the field because your father put them there. And then he goes, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And if we're not careful, we can hear that really accusatory. You can hear Jesus going, where is your faith it doesn't feel like the tone of this whole thing. What it feels like is he's asking the question: hey, hey, where's your faith? Where's your where's your trust? And that, oh you of little faith, has wrecked me all week long. Because I've been thinking about this last season where it's just been worry after anxiety after all this. Going, where where is that faith? That God is going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to be who he said he was going to be. Do I not really believe that he cares more about me than he does the birds of the air? Do do you believe that he will provide for your needs far more than the lilies of the field? See, we can get in this habit of believing that God is going to take care of the world, but questioning if he's going to take care of us. And this is one dangerous spot to reside in. And then Jesus continues on and he says this. He goes, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Jesus goes, hey, stop it. And not like slap on the wrist, stop it. Like, like hey, you don't have to stay in that place. I have something so much better for you than than being wrecked all the time with anxiety. I I got something so much better in the life, the abundant life that I came to bring you than every single day being wrecked with worry. What I have, something so much better. Just stop, stop. Trust me that I will meet your needs and the Father will take care of you. He says, your heavenly Father knows your needs. And for some of you, that image of of God as a father is never a positive thing for you. Because we often associate that with our earthly dads. And you think, well, father for me meant the guy who left my mom and me when we were little and bailed. And so if that's what a father is, I want nothing to do with it. Or it could be even maybe in your household, your father took discipline to a level that would be not disciplined and instead would be harming you. And you think, if abuse is what dad is, I don't want dad. Or it might even have just been that dad for you was the guy who came home, sat in his dad chair, ate his dinner while watching TV, fell asleep in his dad chair, and you never spoke two words every single day. That's dad to you. And if that's you, I wanna challenge you for just a second to take that picture of dad and set it aside. And I want you to think about a good dad. The, the type of dad who would walk his kids to school and then walk them across the street so that they can make sure they were good. The type of dad who, who made sure he provided a roof over his kid's head and, and food for them. he like, think about that kind of dad. And if you have that kind of dad, so you're picturing your dad, this has nothing to do with the sermon, please tell him thank you. The world is desperate for good dads. So if you had one of those dads that was a good dad, tell him thank you, not just on Father's Day, but also on Father's Day, but tell him thank you. So now I want us to all picture the dad, a good dad. The dad who gets the phone call from school and it's like, dad, I forgot my lunch for the 50th time this year. And the dad goes, all right, I'll bring you lunch. The dad who made sure that he did everything he could to provide for his family, that dad, that dad is a broken, sinful human being. He's failed. He's got sin in his life. He makes mistakes. I am that dad. Broken, sinful. My dad is an incredible father. Broken, sinful. And what Jesus goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount is if you then who are evil, which feels a little bit harsh, but if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus says, listen, your heavenly Father is gonna provide for you. Your heavenly father, if your broken, messed up dads can can meet your needs, imagine what a perfect, holy, risen, savior, father, imagine what the heavenly father will do for us. Think about that. Your heavenly father, over and over and over, he hits that. And if we truly believe, if you truly believe that your heavenly father will provide for you, it will change your mindset in immense ways if I truly believe that my heavenly father will meet my needs, think about the rest we would feel. Think about the peace that we would feel. Think about gaining back 152 days of your life not spent worried and anxious. We have this opportunity in front of us to make this monumental shift in our life. We can stay in this place doing things on our own power, our own strength. I'm the one who provides. I'm the one who takes care of. It. I'm the one who meets the needs. We can stay in this place or we can go to the place that we work, live and move and have our being from the standpoint of I am a child of the one who holds everything in his hands. That I am a kid of the king. And you know what kids of the king get? What they need. And we can stay in this place that we try on our own and we strive on our own or we can lean into the reality that our God has provided for us. And maybe you struggle to believe that he actually will follow through on that. We need to look no further than the cross. The cross We can trust the promises of Jesus because of what was demonstrated for us on the cross. Think about the the magnitude of the cross. The Father loved you enough, loved me enough to send his perfect son to this earth to live a perfect life and then go to the brutality of the cross. Shamed, wounded, broken on the cross, bearing the sins of all humanity. That is the magnitude of the love of the Father for you. He would send Jesus to the cross. And the cross begs us, hey, do you believe that I love you even now? Do you still struggle to believe that I will meet your needs even now? The cross shows us the magnitude, the sheer insanity of the love of the Father. see, Jesus goes on in this passage. He doesn't say we just get to sit back and we get to receive the Father everything the Father wants to give us. There is an expectation put on you and I. It says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Kingdom provision, the type of provision that we receive when we live our lives from the standpoint of a child of the Father, when we want that kind of provision, it begins whenever we seek first the kingdom of God. Now, seek first the kingdom of God is is a churchism if there ever was one. So I want us to break it down. Starts with seek first. Let's try this together. I'm gonna say seek and you say first, okay? Seek Let's try one more time. Seek All right, so we're all clear that that word was not second, right? We're all good understanding that that Jesus said seek first. Okay, not second. See, I think that's where we get confused. And we think it's seek at some point in time. When we've done what we can, when we've tried what we could do on our own, when I've exhausted every opportunity, then I will seek first the kingdom of God because I have no other recourse, I have no other action to take. When what Jesus says, no, 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 you got it all backwards. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does kingdom of God mean? So, at its most basic form, the kingdom of God is where God is king, and I know that's just like, that's parsing words, it's just flipping the sentence around a little bit, but, but at its very basic, the kingdom of God is the place where God resigns as king. So when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, what that means is in my life, in my world, I have to seek out every opportunity to make sure that God is king, not me. I gotta make sure that when I go to my job tomorrow, that God is king, not Jeffrey. That when I go to home and deal with my family, that God is king, not whatever I can do. That no matter what I might do, no matter what I might what action I might take, that God is king, not me. That is what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be in my personal life. However, the kingdom of God is also this broad concept. It's this. It's this place, and what we we are sitting in between, like the first coming of Jesus, when Jesus goes to the cross. And then is resurrected and goes back up into heaven. That's the first time Jesus came. And then the second time Jesus comes, he is gonna fully establish his kingdom. And that is gonna be awesome. Because here's the picture that Revelation 19 gives us of, of Jesus coming back. He's coming back on his horse. He's got blood dripping off of his robe. He's got swords coming out of his mouth. He's got tattoos on his thighs and on his robe declaring that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Like that picture of Jesus is incredible. And when that happens, fully the kingdom of God happens. There will never be any more sadness. Perfect peace in the presence of God. There can be nothing but perfect peace in the presence of God. Joy, unexplainable joy. But that hadn't happened yet. And we're fully aware of that. Because we can look at the world around us and we can go, that is not what we are experiencing, that is not what we're seeing but we can still get glimpses of God's kingdom now. But we are often met with the harsh reality of the world we live in. This last Thursday, I stood right here with this same iPad. And I did a funeral. I have a kid. And I wish I could tell you that was the first funeral of a kid that I'd done. It's not. I loved this kid. He came up in my student ministry. All his siblings were in my student ministry. I love this family. And I was in such a funky place last week. Anyone that works with me will tell you, like, I was a mess to be around. They didn't want to be with me because I'm working on a sermon talking about how God the Father is going to meet all of our needs while preparing for a sermon of a kid that I love. And that felt so hard and weird it felt wrong. It felt wrong. To, kids should not die before their parents. Should never have a grandparent at a funeral. Like it, it felt so harsh. The reality of the brokenness of the world that we live in felt so harsh. But then there's those glimpses of the kingdom of God in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Because you get these peace that you just can't explain. And Jesus says it's only through him. You get to hold on to that promise that we grieve. But we grieve as people with hope because we're going to see him again in heaven. I don't want it to have gone down the way that it was. But I'm going to get to see him again. And we see glimpses of the kingdom of God. Even in this broken world really what it'll look like. And our world is groaning for Jesus, tattooed, sword, blood dripping off his robe, come to come back. And where there will never be tears, there will never be death, there will be no more funerals, be peace. That is what it looks like to reside in the kingdom of God. And there's so many promises in scripture for us See, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we can grab hold of Philippians 4, which says, don't be anxious about anything. Because the peace of God, which is more than we can understand, will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we can realize that even though the valley we might be walking in feels like death is overshadowing us, that we don't have to fear or be afraid because my God, the shepherd, is going to comfort me and walk with me through the middle of it. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we can declare boldly that if my God is for me, nothing the world might toss at me can ever get in my way because he is victorious. He is the victorious king. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we can realize that we're blessed when we trust in him. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we don't fear, we are not dismayed because our God is our God and he will strengthen us and uphold us, and he is the only one who can do it. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we can throw every burden, every worry, every anxiety onto him and he will sustain us. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will supply all of our needs. It is a declaration, time and time again in Scripture. That is what happens when we chase after the kingdom of God first and walk in our identity as sons and daughters of the Father who holds everything in His hands. That is what it looks like. And still, we often throw everything into our bag ourselves when what He's offering is so much better. So I know we've finished up the notes. If you will, if you put your stuff down and just bow your head. i want to give us a moment to respond. There's some of you in here when I talked about that baggage life feeling chaotic and stressful and overwhelming, you're like, yeah, I get that. That's every moment of every day. I want you to ask yourself two questions. The first is this, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Because if that answer is no, your life will always be spent that way. It is only through the saving grace of Jesus that we are able to have the life he has for us. He says, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance, but only through him. And so if you're in that place, if you've never said yes to Jesus in a moment, I'm gonna give you the opportunity because we're all broken and sinful. We are all desperate in need of a Savior. But it isn't until we trust that He is Savior of our life that He can begin to give us and allow us to walk in the life He has for us. But maybe you're like, I have said yes to Jesus and I still feel like my life is chaos. Ask yourself if there are some things in your life that you haven't fully given over to Him, fully surrendered to Him. And none of us are gonna seek first the kingdom of God perfectly. It's just not gonna happen. But maybe you're holding back some things. Maybe it's your finances and you're like, "I, I just, I'm gonna give God everything else, but I'm gonna keep this for me. Maybe it's your job, your marriage. Is there an area of your life that you have not given to him? And then I'm gonna pray for you in a minute for boldness, boldness to lay that stuff at his feet. maybe you're here tonight, today and you're just going I feel like I've lost my identity a little bit the beauty of the father is that you haven't lost it in his eyes my kids could go run off tomorrow and be complete crazy people still going to be my kids. I'm still going to be begging for the Lord to bring them back to me. Maybe you're that prodigal and he's calling you home. Maybe you're the older brother looking at disdain. There's something that would shift so tremendously in us if we realized I am a kid of the king I'm a child of the one who holds everything in his hands So I told you I was going to come back to you if you're in here and you feel like your life is chaos and you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to I'm going to ask you to be bold right now and just throw your hand up I want to pray for you God we thank you that you are loved us enough that you sent Jesus. God, we ask. We ask for boldness as we chase after you. God, for those that wanted to say yes to you as Savior, those that just have been trying it on their own and feel like they're never measuring up, we ask for a boldness to lay everything at your feet. I don't want to settle anymore for the life that I can manufacture with my own hands. I want what you have for me. I want the life you have for me. I thank you that we get to be a kid of the king. It's your name we pray. Amen.